notes. You know, I believe every uh, Christian in his heart of hearts wants their lives to be pleasing to God. If they stop and reflect on a lot of times we let life get us real busy, we get to running ourselves ragged, and all of a sudden we stop and we realize how little time we have took recently. It could just be hours, it may be days, that we've taken very little time to really stop and think about our relationship with our Heavenly Father and how much we love Him and how much we depend on Him. But I think when we do take that time and we stop, and like I was saying, the season of Thanksgiving is just so running up on me, and I feel ashamed sometimes to hear we're going to have a celebration which is designed to give thanks to our God for His goodness to us, and uh, it becomes so many other things. It becomes watching football games, enjoying good meals. There's no problem with having a lot of family in and enjoying them and friends. But it's supposed to be a time when we stop and thank God and uh, for the things that he's done for us, the things that he's overlooked in our lives. And so I think that um, most people, when they think about it, they want their lives to be pleasing to God. And thankfully in the Bible there's a lot of instruction to us on how to live well and pleasing to him. And uh, some of it's even done in narration in the lives of people of the Old Testament and New Testament. And we can see how God, how these lives acted out either to the honor or to dishonor as far as their relationship with their Heavenly Father and how they behave toward His standards. And then there are some verses, if you'll let me use the phrase, are kind of like little snapshots. They just encapsulate a truth so clearly and give us some guidance on what God really wants out of us. You know, it's really good to have some bullet points in your mind about what you know your God wants out of you. And you use those in the circumstances when they come up in your life and challenges come up in your life. You know, one of them, um, which we I'll just quote to you, but in James 1 and verse 22, it says, But be ye doers of the word, and not hearers only. And then the rest of that verse is really critical that we stop and look at deceiving your own selves. I know a lot of people who study real hard and they, they, they know their scriptures and stuff like that, but they're not being doers of the word. And faith is an action word. You know, you've heard the old saying uh, that, you know, you can give without loving but you can't love without giving. And the thing is, if you truly love your Lord and you truly have a faith in your Lord, it's going to bring out actions out of you. And then another one in the same chapter, in James chapter 1 and 27, he says, Pure religion and undefiled before God and the Father is this, to visit the fatherless and the widows in their affliction and to keep himself unspotted from the world. That key phrase there is to to visit them in their affliction. In other words, to get involved in the problems that they're having to bear up under, to get to know what their issues are, to visit them in their affliction. In other words, truly come to the aid of these people. And uh, the Lord will use these things, like I said, to share with us what he would like to see out of us. And the verse that we're, another one, and the one that we're going to study tonight is in Micah chapter 6, in verse 8. 
And Micah was uh, a contemporary of Isaiah. He preached for about 40 years, from about 750 B.C. to 710 B.C. He was in Judea, but most of his messages had to do with the northern tribes or Samaria. And um, he, he was living in the life in the time period of King Hezekiah. And he pointed out to the uh, Samaritans about the judgment that was about to come on them, on the northern tribes. Uh, the Assyrians were about to come in and really mess with them. And God was prophesying to them during this 40-year period that it was going to happen because of their unrepentant nature toward their sins. And in the book, as you read it, they start sitting there trying to come up with their own ideas, their own proposals of how, how can we go about making God happy with us? Okay, I'm going to buy into this deal that we're about to get judgment. And then they sit there and try to come up with their own ideas of how am I going to get this fixed? And, you know, I've used the story before about how I made a false profession of, of salvation because of a situation where my mom tried to do the same thing. She was thought she was saved, but she was lost, found out she had to have surgery. It might be cancer. She was very scared. Had never joined a church where we were going, but visited about three times a year. And I would get one annual visit, and each of my brothers got an annual visit. And that was our background at that time. But anyway, Mom, in her mind, came up with a deal with God. I'll join the church, and you'll get me through the surgery. Now, you can probably find lots of scripture to support that, right? <laughs> But that's no different than these folks here um, in Micah. They were going to try to come up with their own proposal. And we see in verse 1 of chapter 6, we'll just start there, the first phrase there says, Hear ye now what the Lord saith. If you want success, that's the place to start. Hear what the Lord saith. It says, Hear ye, and then look at that word now, what the Lord saith. It's time that we stop in life and we just realize we are accountable for what the Word of God says and not presume that He's going to be patient with us. I mean, I thank God He is, but boy, we presume on that a lot, don't we? You know, we just take it for granted. He's been so kind in the past, but what do you do with a kid after a while when you talk to him and 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 it don't seem to be getting through? Well, my dad had a way of getting your attention, or that was his phrase on it, uh, you know, get your attention, and then maybe you'll start listening. And, and the thing is, but we're so presumptuous on God. But he's telling us, hear ye now what the Lord saith. And then we move down to verse 8, which is our text. And he said, he has showed thee, O man, what is good, and what doth the Lord require of thee, but to do justly to love mercy, and to walk humbly with thy God. Now, when we look at this, the phrase here, one thing we need to look at, he's talking to the nation of Israel, the northern tribes, but he doesn't say, O Israel. Notice what he sits there and he says, he says, O man. And so that means that this is a, this is a passage for all of us. It is not just to the Jews only that he's addressing this to. He, he broadened it out. If you want to know what it's going to take to please God, he's given us an example here. And then what we need to uh, <clears throat> realize is 
that we don't need to uh, trouble ourselves like my mom did with coming up with a proposal. Well, this is what we'll do, God. You know, we'll work this out. You know, the thing is, he's just lifted that burden right off our shoulders. We don't have to come up with a proposal to please God. He's just laid it out for us what we need to do. He, he's, he's already set the terms and the conditions if we want to live a life that's pleasing to him. And, he's, and luckily, he's written it down in his word. And then what we have to do is what he has spoken to all men. We must, by faith, apply it to ourselves in particular. You know, it's, it's so easy to read these phrases. It, I, as we open this up a little more, I'll share with you how this, the reason I te- I'm teaching this lesson because it just whipped a fire out of me earlier when I was studying it. And, be, and the thing is, I figure if it'll work on me, it'll work on others as far as being a help. Hopefully not, I don't mean it to be mean-spirited or anything. I just mean it to be helpful because there was just some pitfalls that I'd fallen into. And they become habits after a while. And then since God don't wake me up to them, I sit there and just really get into a rut. The trouble is, I'm presuming. I'm sitting there just taking it for granted. God's just going to be patient with me. And he doesn't have to be. Plus, how is that honoring to him? Plus, it's just not a good testimony in some ways. And, so, and we'll see about that as we uh, open it up a little more. The first phrase there that he uses is, but to do justly. I'm going to read some verses to you give you the verses, and then we'll go back into where we're at. It goes, but in Deuteronomy 16 and verse 20, that which is altogether just shall thou follow, thou mayest, uh, that thou mayest live and inherit the land which the Lord God giveth thee. In Psalms 82 and 3, defend the poor and the fatherless, do justice to the afflicted and needy. Proverbs 21 and 3, to do justice and judgment is more acceptable to the Lord than sacrifice. Isaiah 56 and 1. Thus saith the Lord, keep ye judgment and do justice, for my salvation is near to come and my righteousness to be revealed. In Romans 13 and 7. Render therefore to all their due, tribute to whom tribute is due, custom to whom custom is uh, due, fear... To, uh, Fear to whom whom fear is, and honor to whom honor. And then in Colossians 4 and verse 1, it says, Masters, give unto your servants that which is just and equal, knowing that ye also have a master in heaven. And so lots of different verses talking about uh, to do justly. And, uh, you know, some, and some of the relationships that we have that we need to be in a just mind toward, you know, we can think of family, church family, friends, coworkers, neighbors, but we also just have people that we owe obligations to. It could be the mortgage payment, the light payment, the car payment, the guy that's working on your car. Even Hopefully he's doing it by you the same way, uh, being just. But we have this deal to be just to people. But the area that got my mind when I was studying on this and thinking is because I don't think many people that really want to are here on Wednesday night are busy about trying to defraud people or cheat people. But the thing is, have you ever known somebody that's not a bad person, but they just aggravate you? Have, have you ever known those people, you know, like Oklahoma Sooner fans, you know, just kind of aggravate you? Yeah, 
I happen to be one. So, uh, But for those that don't know it, but the thing is, you know, and the thing is, we all have faults. Would you agree? And so since we all have them and they're all pretty obvious to one another, and that person that just aggravates you just a little bit for whatever reason, do we do justice to his good name? What, what does our tongue sometimes do with that person that's not a bad person, doesn't do wrong, but he aggravates us, you know? And yet, because all of us have faults, and all those faults are pretty well open for others to detect after a period of time, how do we treat your good name with our tongue? Boy, that, that, that caught me. As I was looking at my notes and doing studying on it, that, that caught me that sometimes I run my mouth. And, uh, and I need to just realize that I owe it to that person to treat them justly. The, the th- you know, the thing is, I teach in the Sunday school a lot of times, you know, I have problems, you have faults. <laughs> you know what I mean? Isn't that how we look at it? You know, we can overlook our, if you just knew the stress I was going through, if you just knew the problems I was under, you'd understand why I act like I act. But you, now you just got faults. That's just, you know. And, and the thing is, we need to just realize that we're, we're going to be held accountable for every word that comes out of our lips. We're also accountable for our thought life. And, and so we just need to realize that the Scriptures teach us that we're to treat people justly. And, and like this, then we move on, <clears throat> excuse me, and it says, and to love mercy. Go with me, if you would, to Hebrews chapter 4. We'll be back here, but... Um, a very um, popular scripture. Hebrews chapter 4. I know Brother John has quoted this verse many a time. Uh, he probably knows right where I'm going. But in Hebrews chapter 4 and starting in verse uh, 15, it sits there and it says, For we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities, but was with all points tempted like we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in a time of need. Isn't that a great verse? I mean, that is something you latch on to and you cling to. And when it's love, when it's mercy for you, or mercy for those that you dearly love, it's easy to love mercy, isn't it? But go with me, if you would, to Proverbs chapter 24. And in Proverbs chapter 24, we'll look at verse 29. The Lord speaking, uh, telling us in Proverbs, Say not, I will do so to him as he hath done to me. I will render to the man according to his work. When it comes to others, what's our feeling about this loving mercy? You know, because the thing is, it sits here and says, Say not, I will do so to him as he had done to me. He's already done somebody, He's already done you dirty. He's already revealed what he thinks about you and yours. 
How many of you can handle it when they're attacking you, but when it's your family, it just really gets close to your temper, doesn't it? And yet the Bible tells us here in this verse, uh, verse 29, in the beginning, say not. In other words, you know, the, like the code of the West, you know, do unto others before they do it unto you. Are we allowed to go there? You know, we're not. And so, you know, but the thing is, we might have to address some issues with this person. And we might have the right or we might be in a righteous position as far as they're definitely in the wrong. This was not my family or I was not treated right. And we may have to actually deal with the issue. It may be a co-worker, it may be some other situation, and we have to deal with it. But, you know, you can be in a righteous situation, and it become unrighteous if you handle it with malice. If, you, if your approach is that I'm going to prove how wrong you are. And because the Scriptures teach us that we're not to do that. We're to love mercy. Let me, let me ask you this, you know, that... The things that you love, do you like to see them come your way? I mean, I love chocolate. You know, and I love to eat more than I should, and I don't like exercise, and I carry the evidence thereof. But the thing is, this says to love mercy. But how many of us really love, oh, I'm so glad he's mistreating me because it gives me a chance to... Is God ridiculous? You know, he's not. But I think there's a reason why he didn't say try to be merciful or if you can make it happen, be merciful. I think he's trying to shock us a little bit with the phrase of words that he uses. He's not lying when he told the prophet to write it. He says, but to love mercy. And the thing is, what we have to realize is that salvation gives us some really glorious privileges, doesn't it? I mean, we got a heavenly Father. We have a mansion waiting for us in glory. It has already been... Our citizenship in heaven is just as sure today as it will be when I get to go into glory. Uh, the, the access to the Father, as we looked in Hebrews chapter 4, uh, just the fact that he's promised since I'm his kid that he's going to look after my needs. Uh, David wrote in the Psalms that he has not seen the saints of God begging bread. There's just so many different privileges that are mine, glorious privileges that are mine as a child, a joint heir with Jesus Christ. I mean, I can't even begin to think about that, really. I mean, just think how much the the Heavenly Father says he's put all things in heaven and earth under Jesus' feet. He's given everything to him. And then he turns around and tells us he's made us a joint heir with him. That's just hard to imagine what God has done for us. But along with those glorious privileges come some difficult duties. As a child of God, as a representative of God on earth, as one of his kids, as an opportunity to allow God to love souls through us and show the difference that salvation makes, we're told to love mercy. And like I said, it isn't the mercy about love and mercy when it comes my way. It's love and mercy all the way around. And when we have to extend that to other people and to just realize, let me ask you this. How many times have you gone and claimed what was in Hebrews chapter 4 
and beg God to help you in a situation. A loved one was sick or had been in an accident or financial issues, or, and you've just pleaded with God for mercy. Well, what right do we have not to extend it then to others? I mean, we have offended a heavenly father, and yet he saw fit to send Jesus to die on a cross to pay for our sins so that we could have a relationship with him. He's extended great mercy to us. And I think the phrasing here that we have to love mercy, I think God's trying to hit us right between the eyes with it. We have to look beyond our rights as we see fit. Because the truth is, we really don't want what we deserve. You know, we want mercy, right? And so when someone else is offended us, we've got to figure a way, and it's only by the grace of God, to try to look for a way to extend mercy to that other person. And then we look at the last phrase here, and it says back in Micah, Chapter 6 here, but I tell you what, you can just, I'll just read it, and to walk humbly with thy God. You know, the first thing we have to realize if we're going to walk humbly with our God is that we have to humble ourselves to what he says about his son and our lost condition without him. We have to submit ourselves to the realization that we're lost, we're undone, we're sinners, And we deserve a devil's hell. But he has sent his son Jesus to die on a cross and pay our sin debt. But we have to humble ourselves and let go of our pride and realize our need of the Lord Jesus Christ and ask to be forgiven. And until we get that settled, we're a a rebel against God. We're not walking humbly before our God. Until we, if we know in our hearts that we have not yet accepted Jesus Christ, we can't even begin to do any of this because there is no way that we're going to treat everybody justly, that we're not going to be tempted to do wrong. We're not going to love mercy and extend mercy because it's not human to do it. That deal about loving your enemies and all that, that's just not humanly possible without the miraculous supernatural power of God Almighty, the grace of God given to us. And you don't have access to it until you get saved and you can't get saved until you humble yourself and realize that uh, you need Jesus and that he died for us. And then, if you would, turn with me to Romans chapter 12, and we'll look at verse 3. And in Romans chapter 12 and verse 3, We'll read the verse. It says, Paul writing, it says, For I say through the grace given unto me to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, according as God hath dealt to every man the measure of faith. You know, the key phrase here for us to realize is that God has dealt to us the measure of faith. Everything good that we have in our life is a gift from God. And so as we think on that, we've got to realize who who's, James tells us that all good gifts come down from the Father. 
But also think of our Lord Jesus Christ that the Spirit was given unto him without measure. In other words, the gifts of God and the Spirit was given to him without measure. But how was Jesus known? What, what, what were some of the characteristics of our Lord Jesus? How was he known, his character? Have you heard the phrase meek and lowly? You know, think about that. Without any limitations, access to the Spirit and the gifts and the power of God, and yet he walked meek and lowly. And we're supposed to, little by little, be conformed to the image of his Son. And we, the Scriptures tell us here in Romans, according as God had dealt to every man the measure of faith, God has proportionately given a certain amount of the gifts of God to us. He's given us the talents that we have. Everything good we have is a gift from God, but it was given to us in measure, not, not, not without measure like Christ. And yet I know in me it is a constant battle to keep Rick off the throne just, just to keep the pride halfway under control. Uh, you guys probably never have issues with that. You know, probably just never have it. You just probably wish people would tell you what to do all the time and stuff like that. And your, your you know, backbone never comes up. But I have a real issue with pride, and I have to deal with it. And yet I have to realize that my Lord Jesus had access to everything, yet he was known as meek and lowly, and he's supposed to be my great example. And the Bible tells us back here in Micah that we're to walk humbly before our God. That allows him to work through us. We're not taking the credit. We're not taking the leadership. We're letting him lead, guide, and direct us, and then all the glory will go to him for it, and it allows him then to use us. Um, There's a little poem, I think it kind of goes with this lesson to a degree, about how we're supposed to be treating other people and relating to them. It's one I'm sure you've heard before. It's real popular, but it's called, I Shall Not Pass This Way Again. And it goes, I expect to pass through this world but once. Any good thing, therefore, that I can do or any kindness that I can show to any fellow human being, let me do it now. Let me not defer nor neglect it, for I shall not pass this way again. You know, we have our instructions. I think we all know in our hearts are true. We just need to, as the scriptures you know, point out to us, we need to take what he gave to all men and apply it in particular to our lives. Does anybody have any thoughts or comments for our closing a word of prayer? Have us close. Anybody at all?